heaven didn't play a great role in my life until 18 years ago when my son died. And actually 18 years old, 18 years ago today. And even then, in the first year of grief, it wasn't hope that I really latched on to, but it was that passage that Andy talked about last week, that passage, Jesus wept. That we have a God that weeps with us, that's with us in our pain, in our suffering, in our hard times. But then, the second Easter after Nathan's death, as I was putting together some slides, I was a senior pastor at the time, I had a list of things, and then I realized, hey, heaven's not on this list. And it was when I was typing in heaven, it's like, wow, heaven does mean something. There is a hope of heaven that continues to sustain me, and I think becomes more special as I get older. And then, five years ago, heaven re-entered my life, again, the hope of heaven, And it had to do with a video I was watching about Alton Sterling's murder by two police officers. And hope wasn't a comfort at this time, but hope was a challenge, an invitation, a calling to live life differently. So today, as we look at hope, we're actually going to look at the future focus of hope, the hope of heaven and what's heaven like. But also, what is the, the, per, the present perspective that hope can give to us as we live life today? Not just looking to the future, but looking at the life that is living in this world. How does hope, the hope of heaven, allow us to be in the world as salt and light and a dynamic presence in our lives? I became a Christian when I was 18 years old, and that was a long time ago. And heaven and the rapture were big topics right then. And and when they talked about heaven, it was sort of interesting because they would would talk about two different things. One was the external architecture of heaven. And the other one was, what do you do in heaven? So as they would talk about the external architecture of heaven, they would say things like, Uh, Every city wall being adorned with jewels. Jewels of, and this is from Revelation, jasper and sapphire and agate and emerald. And they had 12 gates around the city. And each gate was made out of a single pearl. And the streets were gold. Gold so so polished that it was was glass-like in its appearance. And it talked about the glory of God that would be the light and and Jesus would be the light and there would be no sun or moon or night. And after hearing that over and over and over again, two things came to mind. One is, if the streets are made of gold, does that mean asphalt is really valuable now? Like, is that something that would be great to have in heaven? And the other thing was, why do I care what heaven looks like? Then the next thing they talked about was, what do you do in heaven? And they, they drew that from Revelation chapter 4. And they said that there's, there's going to be, there's a throne and there looks like an emerald rainbow around it. And then there's these 24 thrones with these 24 elders. And here's what they do. They fall down and they throw crowns. And I thought, really? 
I'm going to spend eternity falling down and throwing crowns? And there was a, just a disconnect. Like, that's what heaven is. It's, just, it's a beautiful place. And I know worship's going to be a part of it, but is that what it is? Falling down and throwing crowns. And it just didn't connect with me. But I knew enough of the Bible to realize there were other passages that looked to heaven and talked about some incredible things. I read Romans 8.22 that talks about creation itself groaning, groaning for the day that heaven is the, the fulfillment of heaven comes. And not only creation itself, but we, our bodies, our spirits groan within us for this coming of heaven. And then in 2 Corinthians 5.1, it talks, has the same kind of language, that this flesh groans to be swallowed up by immortality, that our flesh longs to be free from sin and enslavement, to be what God created us to be, that the mortal will be swallowed up by immortality. And then in, in 1 Corinthians 2.9, it says that eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of people Imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. And then I began to realize, well, heaven's got to be more than they're letting on. There's got to be something incredible about heaven. Because creation groans, I groan for that coming day. There must be something quite special about heaven. And this brings us to our first slide and our first question. When you think of heaven, what three things come to your mind? When you think of heaven, what are three things that come to your mind? And then you're just going to share that in your little groups. So moving, talking, moving, talking.
All right, let's bring it back. So hopefully you heard maybe some things like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that before. And maybe, you know, in our group, someone mentioned, yeah, the gates. Those are like a thing. You know, every picture has, you know, Peter out of gates saying who's in, who's out kind of thing. Um, but there's much more to heaven. And we're going to talk about that. I'm going to talk about 13 things that are true about heaven. Um, but we have another slide. We're not going to do this in groups, but I just want you to think through. Think of, and then here's the first one. What's the most peaceful place you have ever been? Now, when you think of a peaceful place that you've been to, could be your home, could be somewhere geographically, could be within your, your own heart. But what's the most peaceful place you've been, ever been? The next. What's the time and place where you felt fully seen, known, and loved? Hopefully you've felt that at some point. If not, that's okay. We'll talk about that. Next. The safest place you've ever been. So we talked about peaceful, but what about safe? And then next. A time you felt most alive. It could be doing something. When do you feel most alive? I think when we get to heaven, that will be true of all those things. That heaven will be the most peaceful place we've ever been. It will be a place where we are fully seen, known, and loved as never before. It will be the safest place we've ever been. And it will be a time when we can be most who God has created and called us to be, most alive. And when I think of heaven in those terms, suddenly that's the place I want to be. And that's the place I could see myself spending eternity in. So let's look at what is heaven like. So I'm just going to go through these quickly. Like I said, there's 13 of them, and there could be more. There's some, some that I highlighted. Bottom line, heaven is the dwelling place of God. Jesus, 20, 22 times, or 21 times in the gospel, 17 times in Matthew, so there you go, Andy, that's for you, um, says, Father in heaven. That's a term that Jesus uses over and over again. That that's, that's where their God the Father resides. And of course, God is, is omni, as we talked about last week. Omni this and omni that and omni everything. But God is all places also. But there's a sense that, that God's presence is in heaven. And Jesus has prepared a place for us. John 14, 2. That Jesus told the disciples, hey, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And Jesus is, is part of part of the Trinity forming creation. We learn in John chapter 1. So, so we look at what God created. If you, you know, like one of my, my favorite place now, it used to be the Grand Tetons, now it's the Swiss Alps. But you go to places like that and you go, oh my goodness, that's unbelievable. Well, I don't think that's anything compared to what God, Jesus has prepared for us. Not just in terms of a dwelling, but in terms of a heaven itself. We will see Jesus face to face. 
Now, we picture what Jesus looks like. We, we can imagine that. But we're going to see Jesus face to face. And more importantly, we turn that around. Jesus will see us face to face, and we'll know that. Those eyes of Jesus, those piercing eyes of love, of tenderness, of compassion, of care, will lock eyes with ours. There'll be, this is one we use in funerals all the time, no more pain, no more tears, no more death or mourning. That all that will be gone. And that we'll receive a new body. Mine will be a slimmed down version. I don't know what yours will look like. Um, but we'll receive a new body that, that isn't marred by sin or the, the stuff of life. That is, is what it was supposed to be except with the belly button. And that's something to look forward to. That's something I hold on to for my friends whose bodies are riddled with cancer or have lost a limb or even just got old. And that God will complete what God began, Philippians 1.6. That God has begun this work in us and it's going to come to completion. When? When we get to heaven on the other side of life, that we will be fully who God intended us to be. And this is one of my favorite ones, that we'll be seen and known. In Revelation 2.17 it says, and I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. And I love to imagine that scene that, that Jesus, I now see face to face, hands me this stone. No one else knows what's on it. I don't know what's on it yet. And he puts it in my hand. And then he tells me to look at it. And I open my hand. I look at the stone. I look at the name on the stone or the word on the stone. And in that moment, I also know myself as I've never known myself before. Because it encapsulates all that God has spoken into me. All that God has created me to be. The word workmanship, we're creating Christ's workmanship, can also be described, can be translated, the root word can be translated poem, poeo. And I like to think of all of us as these spoken poems of God. And in that moment, the only person who knows what a poem really means is the poets. And in that moment, we'll know. We'll know the depth of what God has spoken into us, what is true of us. We'll be seen and known not only by, by those around us, but by ourselves as never before. Number seven, there's going to be a party there. There's going to be celebration. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus has a parable about the marriage feast. And so there's, there's going to be food and there's going to be, be joy because it's going to be a celebration. We're going to be reunited with those who, who have gone before us. And we're going to celebrate this, this place that, that we have been invited into. The presence of God. Number eight, it's a mind-boggling, the things God has prepared for us. Again, I already alluded to this passage, but what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart has even imagined, that's what's waiting for us. And Peter talks about this inheritance, doesn't say what it is, but there's, there's an inheritance that awaits us. So there's like there's stuff for us to open or something. Like we don't know what it is, but First Peter says it's imperishable, it's undefiled and unfading, 
kept in heaven for you. And so there's like this Christmas thing going on. Like, hey, here's some stuff for you. And not only that, it also talks about the, in the Bible about treasures and rewards. Jesus tells us, don't store up on treasure in, on earth because it's just not going to last. But store up treasure in heaven. He also says that there are rewards for those who live, live a, a God-honoring life. Those who are persecuted, those who struggle. That there is a reward for you. It talks about in Matthew 5, 12. And so there's, there's inheritance, there's treasures, there's rewards. There's, there's all this stuff. And there's also relational oneness and complete reconciliation. That's talked about in Ephesians chapter 2, that Jesus became, who broke down the walls, the boundaries between people. And we see this, this great picture in Revelation 7-9, where, where people from every nation, every tribe, people and language coming together as one. Unique and yet one. Which, of course, is the picture of the church, is the picture of 1 first, first, uh, first Corinthians 12, that we are many parts, but, but we're they're one body. That's going to be lived out without the sin, without jealousy, without envy, without the things that, that still cause divisions. It's going to be a place of learning and growing. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, or 13, 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Again, a great passage of, of being known and, and, and knowing. But also we're going to continue to learn and grow. God has made us learners and growers. That's, that's how we're created. And that doesn't stop once we get to heaven. We don't suddenly know everything there is to know because we still are finite. See, eternity goes in both directions. We will live forever, yes, but we're not eternal because we had a beginning. We just don't have an end. And God is infinite, so there's always going to be more to learn and experience about God, about love, about what's it mean to, to live together. Because that's, we're created for that. And interestingly, and I never really thought about this before, but as I was doing this message, there's also going to be stuff for us to do. Because if you look at Genesis, Adam and Eve, or Adam worked before sin ever came on the, on the scene. There was this relationship. There were no, there were no weeds or thorns or, or those kinds of things that would hamper work. It was just this, this co-laboring with God. That's before the fall. So it's, it makes sense that that would continue as well. And so, so those are 13 different things, and there could be more. But to me, to summarize it, is heaven is a wonderful place. And it's filled with glory and grace. And one day we're going to see our Savior. So heaven's a wonderful place. And when you teach the kids things, one of the things you often do is you teach them a song. So we're going to teach you a song right now. I already just said the words. So it goes like this, and then we'll sing it together. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. 
I'm going to see my, or gonna actually works better. I'm going to see my Savior's face. Heaven is a wonderful place. I'm going to go there. Okay, here we go. Heaven is a wonderful place. Filled with glory. Hey, you're trying to sing. I know you think you're a singer. I do. Okay, just sing. It's sort of a monotone kind of thing. All right, let's start again. Don't sing good. It's just, it's kids singing. All right. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I am going to see my Savior face. Heaven is a wonderful place. I'm going to go there. Heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. I am going to see my Savior face. Heaven is a wonderful place. Okay, now we're going to do a round. So we're going to start here. And then you're going to go here, and then we're going to go here. All right? So here we go. We'll start over here. And I won't be able to follow, so you'll just have to do it on your own. Heaven is a wonderful place. You're still singing? Okay, okay, forget it. Too ambitious. Um, but I think that does capsulate well. And, and there's a whole bunch of ways you can sing that if you ever YouTube it. Um, but heaven is a wonderful place. And as we learn about it, it's not about what it looks like. It's about who we're going to be with. We're going to be with the triune God. We're going to be with one another. We're going to be people, with people who've died and gone before us. People will die and, and follow us up there. And we're going to be seen and known. Heaven is a wonderful place. And it's filled with glory and grace, with no more sin, no more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more mourning. And one day we're going to go there. And that brings us to our next slide. So that's the look into the future. What are, oh, then they said this. There was a statement when I was coming up. They are so heavily minded, they are no earthly good. Because people got caught up in this stuff. It's like, oh, man, I really want to go to heaven. Oh, I can't wait till Jesus comes back. There's nothing wrong with saying those things. But that became their whole focus. And it became an escape. Escape from the world. And actually, in Thessalonians, Paul actually deals with this. Because he talks about people who went on a hill, went up on a hill waiting for Jesus. And, the, and, and basically he goes, don't feed them. They need to work. They need to be involved in the life of the community. It's not just about waiting for something. And, but I think we can be heavily minded so we can be of earthly good, which brings us to the next slide. What is the present day role of he heaven can play in our life? The truth is that the hope of heaven not, is not only about the future, but can impact our present everyday life, shaping and freeing us, enabling us to more freely and fully live Jesus. Heaven gives us a glimpse of an other, other possible ways of living and being with one another, which helps us to imagine living differently. Living into and the truth or the prayer of Jesus in, in, in the Lord's Prayer, 
living in a way that God's kingdom begins to come more fully. God's will be done more fully on earth as it is in heaven, which is Jesus' prayer for us. As we have a hope of heaven in the future, it boomerangs into the present and allows us to begin to, to live differently. You know, visions like it talks about in Isaiah that the lion lays down with the lamb. Or in actually three different prophets talk about beating swords into plowshares. That no longer nation will fight against nation. Or in Amos where it says justice is rolling down like waters and righteousness like a ever-flowing stream. Next slide. Oh, put that way up there. The truth of heaven can ignite, fuel, and embolden our prophetic imagination, helping us to envision a different way of living on earth in terms of, of course, grieving. See, the Bible tells us, Thessalonians again, that we do not grieve as, as those without hope. That as we lose, as we suffer, as people die that we love, there's all types of grief, there's all types of mourning, that there is a hope, a hope that does not disappoint. So as, as we focus on heaven, there is a hope, not just for us that we'll see that person again, but for them. I went to a memorial service a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, of my, my uh, daughter's um, father-in-law, so my, my brother-in-law's dad, great guy. And it was, it was actually fun to be at his memorial service. He had been struggling with cancer for a long time, and there was just a sense of relief that those things that we talked about, those 13 things, are now true for him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we grieved, but we didn't grieve as those without hope. Then the second is relationships with possessions, money, people. To... The hope of heaven helps us to, to own or hold, not own, but hold our, our possessions, our money, even our relationships with people differently. Jesus says, don't lay up for your treasures in heaven. There's a different way to live than accumulating things. Jesus also says, you can either serve manna, or you can serve slash money, or you can serve God. So again, there's a different way of living. In our world, in a capitalistic system, it is about possessions. It is about money. Because that's sort of how, what our, our, it's not sort of, it's what our economy is based on. Buying more things. It was interesting, during the Obama administration, I forget when it was, but, but people had stopped spending and they were saving. And the credit card debt among people was going down. That was a huge problem for the economy. Because it's predicated on bringing more money and selling more things, having more things, making more money so we can have more things. So relations with possessions, money, and then, of course, people. That Jesus died so that we could, we could be reconciled with people. Jesus' prayer in John 17 is that we would be one. And so as we look at heaven, that, that is a reality. How do we begin to live into that? How do we begin to at least look at ourselves and see what are some areas that we need to grow in there? Also in terms of taking care of the least of these, Jesus says, as you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. 
And if I think of safe families, that's, that's us doing this for the least of these. As a church saying, here's what we're going to be about. It's not just going to be about our families. It's going to be about families who are struggling. Families who are having a hard time. And so our families, who already have kids, are taking in more kids. And that comes with at a price. But that's the hope of heaven informing us and shaping us now, changing how we live life. Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, freedom to the prisoners, sight to the blind, set the oppressed free, the marginalized, the outcast, the stranger, the alien, the widow, the child. That's having a different relationship with people because they're not external to us, but we begin to see that we're in a community and that each person is created in God's image. And so what, does, what is God inviting me to do? And of course, that leads to reconciliation of bringing, bringing people together, which you already talked about. The next one, justice. We begin to be aware of injustice as we begin to, to realize that justice is going to flow like a river and that God desires justice. God is a just God. And Mal, Micah says, that we're to do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. And so, so we begin to, to look at injustice through policies and laws. And yes, policies and laws cannot change hearts. But Martin Luther King said that passing a law about lynching, which actually was never passed by the federal government until 2020, by the way, interestingly, um, will not change a heart, but it might save my life. It might save the life of others. So what are those policies? What are those laws that, that aren't in line with heaven, the truths of heaven, the value of people, the presence of God, the mercy of God, and begin to, to, to wear, be aware of those things? Maya Angelou said, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. So it's not about figuring it all out today, but to be open to how God might be leading us, guiding us, to be salt and light, to, to work toward God's kingdom's coming, God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. To say something when we see something. That this isn't right. This is injustice. This is not God honoring to use our voice, to use our platform. And then the next one, which is a natural outflow. So we extend love, we extend grace, mercy, service, and forgiveness. Loving God and, and loving others. Because that's what heaven's about. Love, grace, mercy, service, forgiveness. And again, it reminds me of the Lord's Prayer. It reminds me of the, the Good Samaritan. It reminds me of so many stories of Jesus. That's how we're called to live. And then the next one, which takes endurance. Endurance, boldness, courage. That living the kingdom life, oftentimes we're going to go against the grain that is the world. That's why Jesus says, be in the world, but not of the world. 
And Paul talks about hope of heaven in terms of endurance. He says in, in Romans 8, 18, my present sufferings don't compare to what awaits me. So he can endure. Matthew 5.10 says, when you're persecuted, remember that yours is the kingdom of heaven. So there again, there's that tie. Future hope, heaven, kingdom of heaven now as I'm persecuted for doing that which is right, for standing up for Christ. In Matthew 5.11 and 12, it says, when people insult you, say evil against you, you have a reward in heaven. So again, future heaven changes our perspective now. And allows us to, to live in a way that, that is there is a life given for others is, is what Jesus modeled for us. And in Colossians 3 3 it says, For you died and your life is hidden in Christ. There's nothing no anyone can do to us that will keep us from heaven. Jesus, in another way, says, Don't, don't fear that person who can take your life, fear that one who could, could send you to hell. Well, as those who know Christ, like that's we don't have a fear of that. But can we live boldly, courageously, not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, not for a year, but for this lifetime, following Jesus, being salt and light, seeking that God's kingdom would come, God's will would would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then the last one is hope. And hope just reminds us it's not the end of the story. If you stand up for justice and you use your platforms and you use your voice, you are going to get pushback. Not just from the world, but also from within the church. That's just the way it is. Sadly. Because we still, we have, we're not one yet. We don't fully have the mind of Christ. One day that will be gone, but now is not that day. And so heaven is a wonderful place filled with glory and grace. And one day we are going to see our Savior's face. But for now, what's it mean to live Jesus? What's it, now, what's it like now to have the hope of heaven fuel our present life so we can imagine, we can ignite, our, our, our imaginations can be ignited in terms of justice and equality and equity, serving God and serving others, reaching out in love, Working so God's will will come, God's kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. Using your hope of heaven and the infused imagination that can come from that to consider how God may be inviting you to imagine your life in terms of those things listed on this slide. Why don't you take a few moments to do that? Knowing that heaven is yours. And knowing some of the things that heaven is about, what might God be inviting you to to do? Maybe you're grieving right now. Maybe it's holding on to that hope of heaven. Maybe there's relationships with possession, money, or people you really need to to look at and and explore. Maybe it's issues of justice. Maybe it's it's living more, a life more filled with love, grace, mercy, service, and forgiveness. Maybe it's about enduring. What might God be inviting you into? Knowing that hope, knowing that heaven is yours and cannot be taken from you.
for me personally, the hope of heaven has helped me to imagine that racism can be dealt with, that police brutality can be brought to an end eventually. And that we can celebrate, or I can celebrate the image of God in people. And as a result of that, I've taught in LA. I was on two, two boards, Church and Racism, in the last couple of weeks at different churches. I'm meeting with the police chief in a couple of weeks from Oceanside as part of a community group. My last book was a five-year journey, or came out of this five-year journey, of a, of a hope-filled imagination that says, these things can change. And that can be your story, too, with safe families, with homelessness, with developing a community. It can be anything. It doesn't have to be my thing. It's what God's inviting you into. And to, to trust that God will do beyond anything you can think, ask, or imagine. And that one day, all this crap in the world will be gone. Because heaven is a wonderful place. It's filled with glory and grace. And one day we are going to see our Savior's face. And until then, we are called to be salt and light. To live Jesus in the world. In ways that are true to who God's called and created us to be. Not fearful, but courageous, bold, enduring. Because of the hope of heaven. Let's pray. I thank you for this time. I thank you for the hope of heaven and that which awaits us that we cannot even begin to imagine. And yet we have passages that at least give us a hint of what that might be. Help that hope to fuel our lives, to ignite our imaginations, that we might live boldly, courageously, Jesus, in truth, in love, in deed so that the world may see our good works and glorify you, our Father, who art in heaven. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.